1: Media covering media is growing in the U.S., and in this episode, we chat about the importance of covering the news, as well as how current events continue to pose new challenges for journalists. We also talk about how America's news media compares with its British counterparts, the need to create false equivalencies, and just how hard it is to define news today. Take a listen and be in the know in 30.
0: FMC Fast Chat takes you inside the news so you can be in the know in 30 minutes. Hosted by Fair Media Council CEO and Executive Director Jackie Clement, Fast
1: Chat features notables in news, media, and business. Today we're fortunate to be chatting with John Osop, a freelance journalist who writes on media for the Columbia Journalism Review. John, why don't we begin with you telling us a little bit about how you approach your work?
0: I write that four days a week, um, so every every weekday apart from Thursday, and, and that day is taken by my colleague Matthew Ingram, who writes, typically writes about the intersection of journalism and, and tech. And yeah, in terms of like how I sort of choose the topics for it, um, well, I, I first of all I would say I think that's changed from Trump to Biden quite a lot because. Okay trump you know something insane would happen um you know while i'm while I'm sort of asleep in the uk overnight that I'm having to scramble to write about thing now is <laughs> things are a little a little more relaxed although clearly lots of lots of important stories going on um yeah i should say also i now i am now back um in the UK and I sort of use the, the time difference to um be able to sort of craft the the newsletter in the early morning equivalent early morning time uh, in the us so it can kind of go up early us time but but at a civilized hour here yeah so i guess i tr- i think the newsletter is kind of cjr's space given that we're a magazine that i think does tend to run sort of longer pieces and, and sort of steps back from the news cycle the newsletters sort of our opportunity to weigh in on the news cycle, mostly in the US, but also I think, you know, just in terms of important global stories as well. So yeah, I think if there's, you know, sort of a major political story in particular, we'll we'll sort of look at how the media is covering that. Um, if people are criticizing how the media is, is covering that, we'll um you know sort of weighing on that sometimes sometimes we'll very often um offer, offer criticisms of our own yeah and as i said i think and then some other days we'll sort of look at maybe trends within the media industry we take a pretty broad approach and i think that anything you know i think that anything that sort of has some kind of interesting connect meaningful connection to the world of journalism is something that we would consider writing about um but yeah so so anything anything within that kind of within that sort of um sphere that's sort of interesting and current and we think our readers would be would be interested to know this that maybe doesn't kind of either justify or would not hold for a kind of longer sort of after the fact thing we'll, we'll try and sort of address it address it in that space. So yeah, I guess that's, that's kind of basically what we what I'm trying to do with it.
1: Okay. So a- answer this this is probably the the one big question anyone tuning in will have is how did the Brit end up writing the Columbia Journalism Review newsletter to begin with?
0: Yeah, well, I think I, well, I've always had like a very strong interest in in American politics and obviously then studied and, and worked in, in the US. I mean, yeah, the biggest, I think, i mean the biggest benefit to it i would say is is that as i as i mentioned previously is the time difference i think having you know writing an early morning us early morning newsletter and having several hours of kind of head start of, of actual morning time to sort of sit and and not just sort of a head start to sit and think but but it's sort of a time when people in america are asleep and so the kind of like constant otherwise rush of like things ha- happening and people commenting on them on twitter obviously is not totally Dead in those hours, but but it, it does feel like kind of a calm space where even on a very hectic news day, you can kind of sit back and actually sort of think about things without being kind of bombarded with with breaking news. And then I think yeah, so, so I think that's that's sort of a, a chief logistical advantage. Um, I would say you know, and obviously there are limitations to this th- perspective as well. But I think what I try and do, um, which I think is is it can be successful on occasion, is sort of actually. Bring an outside perspective to, you know, looking at the way American news organizations cover politics. In particular, I think when you are, when you sort of grow up with that system, um, there's a lot of things that you just impl- you just will not question. Just, which is not, no, not to say that it's sort of an oversight on anyone's part, but but just things that you become totally used to because they're sort of baked into your political consciousness from the from the moment you develop that. I think I've actually noticed this in my writing about British politics, which I still sometimes do in the, in the newsletter when there's kind of an interesting British media story, but, but also I've done kind of for other magazines on, on the side is I, find it really hard to write about British politics because I think you have to sort of want to come at things from, with, with a certain degree of detachment, which isn't to say that like, you know, I think that people should come at stories from a complete place of neutrality or objectivity. I don't think that's possible, but what I notice in, in writing about America that I don't find in the UK is I'm not sort of trying to like cut through a whole lifetime of kind of assumptions about the way politics works. Um, and I think sometimes you can, you know, reach a perspective that obviously, you know, and, and lots of people in America have very sharp perspectives on American politics. I'm not, I'm not trying to say anything like that. But um, yeah, I think sometimes as an outsider, if you're, if you're kind of informed and you spend a lot of time actually kind of reading into that country's politics and, and media, you can sort of spot things that um, that are interesting and that could maybe be done better a different way or, or sort of at least could be done differently, that maybe maybe some people who are more steeped in that, you know, culturally would, would maybe not not notice to the same degree.
1: I understand. I'm kind of wondering, though, when you do find yourself in a position to criticize media,
0: hmm.
1: how is that received? Do you hear anything? Um,
0: well, obviously some people... Uh, some people disagree and that's, and that's fine. I, uh, you know, I do hear, you know, people who, uh, people who, um, you know, tweet disagreement or sometimes email, email me back. I would say, I say on the whole, I don't tend to hear too much from the people that we that we criticize and you know i think i always I, I, well, certainly first and foremost we try to always be fair and i think sort of i don't think we pick on people for doing things that everyone is doing i mean we might offer sort of examples of a broader trend but i think we're always clear that we're sort of citing examples of something that's a bigger problem and i think we try and we do try and keep the focus on those bigger problems rather than sort of identifying one particular story that we didn't like and sort of spending five or five, six you know long paragraphs doing a, a kind of deconstruction of that piece um i think it would be rare for us to do that and it would have to sort of be so it would have to sort of uh, you know have something to do with some kind of broader stakes that we were trying to illustrate i think so i think so i think firstly we try and kind of like i try and keep the newsletter and the criticism you know, want to offer criticism and it pretty general which isn't yeah which obviously can you know <laughs> it can be hard to generalize sometimes but but um yeah, I think I think what we're trying to do is sort of point point out broad trends in media coverage that we think are, are sort of worth illustrating or, or pushing back on. Um, so there's that. I think also, you know, we try and you know sort of criticise news organisations as a whole for the stuff that they put out in their name, rather than kind of picking on individual reporters or journalists who often, you know, clearly will have different relationships with their editors and don't write their own headlines as we know very often. So yeah, if we're pointing out kind of framing issues, I think we try and sort of keep that at the level of, of news organisations. So yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't tend to spend a lot of time getting into like one-on-one spats with people on Twitter. I don't, I don't think that's very constructive. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. We, I think we try and keep things at kind of a, a higher level than, than that. But yeah, I don't, in terms of like how it's received uh, on a more, yeah. And it's sort of higher, like conceptual level. It's, it's interesting because when I have done, tried to do sort of more media criticism pieces involving the UK, I find that a lot of journalists here really have a hard time understanding what it is that I do. So when you call up a journalist here and say, "Hello, I am a journalist doing a story about you, a journalist, and your journalism," they'll be like, "But I'm not the story because I, you know, we're journalists are not the story. We're taught to just sort of be behind the notepad and and okay. and, and you know, we're not we're not important." Um, and that's obviously not everyone here, but I think it's I think it's true to a greater extent than you find in the US. Um, and in the US, there are people who've said that to me, sort of like I think that they tend to be sort of really old school, kind of like you know, like kind of grizzled, <laughs> straight news reporters who you know maybe were sort of more at home in like the saloons of the '60s and '70s or whatever. I think I think okay. most journalists working in the US understand that media criticism is like. well-established kind of an increasingly established, I think fixture of the American media landscape. Um, so I think it's less aliens journalists and they understand that it's something that they, you know, that that, that might, that, that they will perhaps engage with at various points in their careers. And yeah. And I think that's a great thing because I think that journalists are enormously powerful, much more so than most of them feel comfortable with. Um, and major sort of news organizations are clearly enormously powerful as, as as companies yeah i think sometimes it can be tempting to say well you know we just chronicle what's going on we're not really the story and actually like a lot of the time uh, you know, i think they really are the story um yeah and i think it's important for people to scrutinize what these people are doing and sort of hold them to to account and i think in the u.s there is a better understanding than here i would say that that, that is kind of a vein of criticism and journalism that is important for accountability and it kind of does does need to exist and and does exist.
1: All right, tell me a little bit about what what you think makes for an interesting story, because you have the ability to pick and choose and kind of have maybe a broader approach than a journalist who is working full-time on a particular subject and is more hemmed in in terms of not being able to really choose story topics. So what do you go after?
0: I guess I could sort of attack this question from the perspective of me as a, as a reader, just in terms of like what I find interesting in, in, in news stories in general. And then, and obviously then, you know, from the perspective of, of writing stories. And yeah, I sort of have two facets to what I do that are a bit different in, you know, on the latter question. Uh, so, so yes, as I've discussed, one of them is this CJR newsletter where, you know, it's, it's four days a week. And it's meant to be topical and kind of focused on U.S. media and, and its intersection with U.S. politics. So I guess those stories follow a bit more of a, I wouldn't say rigid, because I think my editors still give me, you know, a really great amount of discretion and and if i want to be creative and kind of do something that might not seem like a media thing but actually is if you look at it through a certain lens then then they're often very supportive of that thankfully but yes but you know if there are big political stories that are being very widely covered then we'll we'll almost always weigh in on that so for instance you know if the us pulls out of afghanistan and the taliban takes over that's going to be a big story for us to cover and, and indeed we did write about that a lot in the newsletter um the, the other thing I do is, is sort of do freelance longer stuff in my free time, both for CJR and other publications. And, and not always about media. I mean, I sometimes try and write about, you know, politics um, in Europe or, or just any topic that interests me. And I think when I'm doing those stories, it will just be, you know, what I typically will try and do is find something that like, you know, I and other people know a little bit about maybe, but are actually like potentially really fascinating and you kind of want to know more and you just sort of like go out, and you can't really find more or stories that sort of bring something that hasn't been talked about for a long, an idea or you know sort of policy or whatever that hasn't been talked about for a long time up to date so i did again yeah, before christmas a piece on the federal writers project which has obviously been written very widely about the, the you know the 1930s uh roosevelt era initiative to pay writers to document america as part of the uh, the new deal and, yeah, I ended up finding out, actually, that this was something that, um, you know, a Democratic congressman was trying to revive in the present day, which hadn't been reported, which was kind of a lucky scoop for me. But, um, but yeah, the general point of the story going in was to say, actually, you know, that there are commonalities between then and now. And it would be interesting to kind of see how that sort of history might work in the present context. Uh, then, then a piece I did recently for CJR was a profile of Mehdi um, Hassan, the, uh, the MSNBC host who I think is someone who has both a growing profile in the US and an interesting approach to political journalism that I think is kind of novel in the US and also comes from the UK. So as someone who I'm perhaps more familiar with than, than some American viewers. And, and so with him, I think it was more a case of, you know, knowing he had a very interesting backstory that maybe a lot of his viewers didn't know about that hadn't really been written down in one kind of really detailed profile. So so it was about sort of doing doing that. So those are the stories I like to, to kind of pursue. Um, I guess in terms of you know, the first thing I said, what stories do I find interesting to read? I think it's I think there's no, there's really no, no, no such thing as like one interesting approach to a story. I, I do know a lot of journalists will say that a story needs to contain new information to be successful. But I, I find a lot of stories that contain, you know, new information to be pretty trivial, new information or to maybe privilege that new information over, over the, the kind of bigger picture. Um, I think sometimes stories that take things you do know and are able to kind of analyze them or tell them or write them even a certain way that makes you sort of think about things differently. I think sometimes that can be really valuable, too. So, yeah, I think on, on, the, on, the, on that kind of broader aspect of it, I think it, it probably depends, but I wouldn't say there's like a set formula for success in my, in my opinion.
1: From where you sit, do you, do you see any big differences or, or similarities even between U.S. media and the British media?
0: It's an interesting question and one I've thought about quite often. Um, I think I think I used to think to a greater extent than I do now that the U.S. media was becoming more like the British media uh, during these. I think it was an opinion I kind of formed during the early part of the Trump years. Because so obviously here we have a very partisan uh, print media um, which is extremely kind of um, scabrous and cheeky, particularly on and, and salacious, and also sensationalist particularly on on the right but also still very partisan on the left as well and yeah the US I think with the exception of papers like the New York Post um newspapers tend to have a self-conception as being kind of guardians of truth and balance and objectivity and then sort of pitch themselves much more down the middle and I think it's tempting to think that 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 the the sort of the US model is becoming closer to the British model because I do think that Trump sort of bursting onto the scene did kind of force to some extent a a taking of sides. And obviously there has been this sort of pushback about, you know, about that, that sort of model of down the middle objectivity and, and who it really serves and, and whether it is indeed actually down the middle at all. Um and yet I think the more I thought about it, actually I, I sort of see US newspapers kind of resisting transitioning away from that model to a greater extent than they than they should. Um, and, I, and I don't really see a kind of swing towards British style partisanship i do think in some respects that you actually you could argue and obviously this, this is difficult to, uh, to sort of generalize as a comparison because there are a million cultural differences between the uk and the us you could to some extent i think flip british tv and print and sort of then compare them to their opposite in the us if that makes sense so i think the bbc is actually kind of more akin to the new york times than it is to cnn or msnbc conversely i think that. You you could argue that the Guardian is maybe more akin to MSNBC than it is to the New York Times. Um, again, hard hard to generalise, but I think I think you could maybe make the case that it's. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't want to sit here and say there's no you know there's no partisan or opinionated media in the US. Clearly, that would be that would be wrong. And I also wouldn't want to say that no British news organisations see themselves as kind of down the middle, sort of neutral arbiters of fact either. because I think that would be wrong too. But yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting comparison to explore. And I think recently there's been a lot of uh, controversy and conversation about, you know, Britain kind of importing a Fox News style model by by launching these right wing TV stations. And I think my attitude to that, which I've written about has been very much like, you know, you can't just kind of import one, one country's culture war into another country and just sort of completely replicates its kind of rootedness and success. Um, and I think you've seen that with, with one of these sort of like Fox News clone type channels, which is no one is watching and it's just a complete disaster already. But yeah, but I also think you know the, the British media doesn't really need to import right wing outrage from America because we have a lot of it of our own. It's just <laughs> tends to be in print rather than. <laughs> <not> <laughs> than um, but yeah, but I think um, yeah, I think I think the US probably has a more on the whole probably more robust media culture. But then it's a much bigger country, and you know mm. if you if you sort of take it um, person for person or square mile for square mile. Obviously, I, there is not enough local news in the US to, mm. to go around, even though I, there are sort of more regional and sort of municipal newspapers that are in a healthier state in the US than in the UK. So, yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting comparison to draw and one I've thought about a lot and one which, you, as you can probably tell, I haven't actually, despite spending a lot of time at the intersection of the two, reached kind of a firm conclusion mm. about
1: Well, it is a lot to think about, though. But I am kind of wondering, though, because for the longest time before politics became pretty much everything,
0: Mm. you
1: know, for a long time, the complaint about news was it was too much entertainment and Mm. not news. So hard news or soft news, compare it to. But now it seems as if we've evolved out of the entertainment aspect and into the politics. But I'm not sure if... It's political entertainment or political news right now.
0: We actually ran a very interesting feature on this uh, today from our new magazine, which is about the direction of political coverage after Trump. By um, written by Sam Sanders from from NPR. And the point he made was that this distinction between hard and soft news is kind of bogus and that actually all of it is important. And I think his argument was that what is considered to be hard news is often what has been kind of pitched at, um, you know, what straight, white, well educated men, sort of serious matters of, of government or whatever. And, mm-hmm. uh, and sort of, you know, cultural stories um, have often been dismissed as fluffier, but actually, like, these are very important in terms of, like, assessing where you are as a country. And, and I, I thought it was a really great piece and I agreed with it. I think also, like, I think you should, I think the news should be entertaining, or at least it should, it should be interesting. Um, you know, things don't have to be boring and serious to matter and you don't have to tell important and grave stories in boring and serious ways. Um, so yeah, so I think this, I think sometimes the idea that news shouldn't be entertaining is kind of, I don't know. I think, I think there's, I think there's a conflation of reducing news to triviality and, showmanship and kind of carnival barker type behavior which are definitely a lot of which goes on and and sort of conflating that with saying anything that sort of presented an interesting or original law or, or sort of at all flashy way is not is not serious and, and shouldn't be and it shouldn't be done that way i, I don't necessarily see it in, in sort of as clean terms as that but yeah if you if you i guess what i'm trying to say is i don't think entertainment is in and of itself sort of an inherently negative thing but yes to the extent that like entertainment means someone like donald trump who is entertaining in the lowest common denominator sense of the term to the sense that someone like him can come along and completely kind of short circuit the attention span of america's top news organizations and to the extent that like he can sort of do wwe style antics that crowd out discussions of more serious mm-hmm. you know policy proposals from more serious people yes of course that is that is bad and it's something to Yes, I mean it's obviously bad, and I think we've all all seen the the consequences of that.
1: <laughs> how how would you uh, describe the Biden administration thus far in terms of covering it? And even um, if you
0: want to compare it to Trump, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, um, well, obviously, there's one one angle is kind of the way that they've treated the press, which I think is in some respects been kind of a polar opposite of what Trump did, right? Because obviously Trump waged war on the press and was very horrible about them and, and sort of you know did a lot to undermine trust in media among his among his voters at the same time his administration was basically a, a sieve that information just leaked out of and everyone you know were working in it was calling calling reporters from the same outlets that Trump was calling fake news and Trump of course himself loved to engage with these outlets um you know very often while while out the other side of his mouth calling them fake so so yeah so in that sense it was like Tory days for access journalism i think there's been a lot of pushback on reporters recently saying um you know some of them i think have said you know without putting their names to these opinions that we would like to you know kind of we kind of missed the days of trump because we got so much good access again i think access journalism when it's kind of used for bad is a bad thing, but I don't think it's inherently a good thing. And people knowing about what's going on inside their government is good. Um, and I think, you know, under Trump, it was possible to know about things that were going on behind the scenes. Of course, whether you could trust all of the accounts coming out, given the sort of mm-hmm. <laughs> viper's nest of, um, of different characters, uh, you know, within the Trump administration is it, a different story. But, you know, well, well-sourced, well corroborated kind of reporting um, on, on deliberations inside the White House did, I think, shine a light on what was going on and did prove important in terms of accountability quite often and the biden administration has been much more polite about journalists and much more sort of professional in its dealings with the press and you know there are daily briefings and the press secretary actually turns up and sometimes answers questions um but it it seems by all accounts to be very disciplined and hard to kind of wring out sort of internal tensions um very very kind of on message yeah, which which you know is their prerogative um and I, but you know and I, and I don't think biden has in every respect got a completely admirable record on, on sort of standing up for press freedom rights actually but um but yeah it does seem it does sort of seem in the most basic sense like there's a trade-off there in terms of covering them i think my biggest fear coming into the biden administration would be that you you'd have one of two competing extremes in the way political journalists thought about it after trump one of which would be Trump, you know, we must prove that we're even handed. So we're going to cover Biden with the same level of aggression as we cover Trump, okay. which, given how awful Trump was and how corrupt his administration was, could have led to a lot of kind of false equivalency, you know, blowing up of non sort of scandals about Biden and, and then saying, well, we're just kind of like holding these administrations to the same degree of accountability. The other fear I had was that on the contrary, journalists would go, oh, that's okay. America's problems are all over because Biden is normal. He's a normal president. He sort of respects establishment norms and institutions. Everything is fine. Trump's in the past. We we can just kind of go back to the way things were in political journalism before. And actually, I sort of hope we'd see a middle way. Um, I think it's hard Probably impossible, really, to draw a general conclusion yet as to which of, you know, to you know, whether that middle way has been achieved or if we're sort of veering to one or the other. I think it's I think it's too soon to say. Um, I mean, there are definitely lots of things I could say about coverage of specific stories under Biden. And I do think that it's certainly true that kind of outdated journalistic norms that, that weren't just like a pre-Trump thing, but also went through the Trump presidency. Um, in terms of, you know, blaming Democrats and Republicans equally for things that are more the Republicans fault Democrats, stuff like that. I think you do, do still see um, a lot of that going on. But, um, yeah, I think on the whole, on the whole, there's also been some good coverage of the Biden administration and, and that, you know, that you see on a daily basis. And I think it's um, I think just at, at the kind of highest level it is at, at this moment, probably too soon to kind of reach a, Okay. Think, one way or another.
1: You know, you brought up the idea of false equivalencies, and I think this is one of the terms that journalists will throw around, but I'm not sure if the public, the news consumer, really understands what you're talking about when you use a term like that. Can you give an example to explain it?
0: Yeah, well, essentially, it just means the idea of treating two things the same when they aren't the same, um, so that you can turn around to say, so that you can turn around to politicians and your readers and whoever, and say, well, you know, a the, the Republican did this bad thing, a Democrat did this bad thing, and we covered them both and gave them the same amount of column inches, and and um, and you know that was, and um, uh, so we're being fair and balanced. Uh, the classic example that media critics will grab for in terms of recent memory is the the coverage of Hillary Clinton's email server from from twenty sixteen, right? So yeah, so the idea would be trump did all of these extremely transgressive dreadful things News organizations had to cover them all because he was the presidential nominee for a major party um but then turned around and, and thought to themselves well you know we've given trump a lot of negative coverage and this might appear might be appear to be sort of biased against trump so we need to do some stories about how you know clinton is is mm-hmm. bad oh look there's this thing about her using a private email server um in violation of the rules let's just go to town on that and because then you know, and this is definitely not to say that there are not things that were worth scrutinizing about Hillary Clinton. In fact, there were lots and lots of things that didn't get scrutinized, I think should have been about her personally. But but yes, this, this one story, while not unimportant in and of itself, gets kind of amplified to the same level of all of Trump's transgressions, because there is an effort to sort of try and portray them as being equally bad. Another more recent example that I wrote about was the coverage of this um, select committee investigating the insurrection, right, where the republicans torpedoed a the idea of a bipartisan sort of 9-11 style commission um and then tried to nominate people who were essentially complicit in the same election denialism that led to the insurrection as members of the the replacement committee in the house of representatives and then there were sort of a, a few political journalists who reacted to this by saying well you know on the one hand the republicans shouldn't have torpedoed the commission bipartisan commission but on the other hand the democrats shouldn't play politics by rejecting these republican nominees which which if you actually think about it for more than a couple of seconds is a ludicrous way to assess this problem because there's literally no point having an investigation into something if the people that you're investigating are on the panel because they will obviously just derail it from within Mm -hmm. and yeah and yet i think there was this impulse to say well you know this is washington you know both sides are to blame to some extent They're, they're all just playing politics you know who's right who can say and yeah, I mean, this still goes on a lot. I, I do think there's more sort of voluble pushback against this now than there has been in the past. And I think that's good. And I think it is leading to some improvements. I would say, on the whole, you see less of this type of coverage than you did maybe early in the Trump administration. But there is, there is still far too much of it. And I think it is a huge, as much as it's a cliche to kind of throw the false equivalency around in media criticism circles, I think it is a huge, you know, genuinely a huge problem that when you have one party that is, you know that you that really needs to be held to account, but is fundamentally a political party operating within the norms of democracy, and another party that has gone off the rails and essentially rejected the norms of democracy. The idea that you should sort of persist with a, a model of coverage that treats those two things as the same and equal, and, and sort of tries to find opportunities to criticise them both in equal measure, um, clearly is is a is a practice that will fail to communicate the kind of the truth in the proportion in which the truth deserves to be communicated.
1: One final question here, because we're already at time and you've been doing great, thank you so much, is what is news today? How do you define it?
0: That's a very big question to finish on.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is news today? I don't know. I don't know, I think well, I think there's like a million directions you could take that question, right? Um, I think news today should be the same as news has always been, which is, you know, communicating matters of public interest to the population That's are true. Um, yeah. I think that's probably just what news always has been and probably what it, what it still is now, of course, the proportion of media that is performing that function and their relative kind of, Volubleness and you know the different audiences they reach is something i think that's changed a lot um you know self-evidently but um you know the news is still things the public need to know about told to the public and yeah i guess that's how i would define it the fair media council is a 501c3 nonprofit organization advocating for quality news and working to create a media savvy society For more information about the Fair Media Council and upcoming Fast Chat shows, check out fairmediacouncil.org.